Welcome back to another episode of Art of the Float. I'm really excited to have Dr. Feinstein on here. Uh, the whole float research, well, I shouldn't say the whole float research collective, but everyone on the podcast today is a member of the float research collective. And uh, we dive into it and we talk about Project Arcturus, which is a project to get 100 float centers participating in float research and fundraising. I'm really excited about it. We're going to dive into all the nuts and bolts of it in today's episode. Hope you give it a full listen. And of course, I hope that you sign up as well for your float center. There will be a link in the show notes here. Before we get started, I want to give a big shout out to Helmbot. Helmbot is the float software, scheduling software, all the everything that you need for your float center designed into one little salty float package. Um, scheduling clients, scheduling your employees, LMTs, payroll, all that stuff. Um, it's all built into this. Uh, logbook is our ongoing conversation that we have since it's very rare. Everybody's in the same room at once. We can have those ongoing discussions. Task management is great. That's evolved so much over the years at the float shop of what we assign to people, the detailed instructions that go into each task if you expand out the task um, really helps our newer employees and older employees who um, kind of need to, including myself, need to stay up to date on what the new procedures are for any tasks. Um, really enjoy that, along with the manual, along with data tracking for all of your metrics for your float tanks or anything else you want to add in there. It's a really robust, incredible piece of software that I highly recommend. And again, we use at the shop. Helmbot.com is where you want to go. And I also want to give a big shout out to the FTA, the Float Tank Association. I'm a member of the FTA and I encourage you to join as well. Uh, if you're a member, you do get special member information and, and documents. Uh, one in particular is a float waiver. If you're just starting out or if you don't have a waiver currently or you're not happy with your current float waiver, uh, as a member, you have access to several different templates uh, that are being used and uh, you can start using those and you know modify it for your own business, but you can start using that for your own float center. You don't have to hire a lawyer, which is what we did. Save some time and money and support the FTA, which supports the entire float community. It's uh, some really important, it, for me, it's really important to support the FTA as the FTA is supporting us. Um, I always think of it um, much like massage. They are very organized. They have a central uh, uh, organization that supports Massage and has helped make massage become something that is known by anybody in the U.S. and is known for its medical benefits as well. Um, I think it really helps to have an organization like the FTA, which is why I'm a member. And again, I think you should too. Flotation.org is where you want to go. Sign up, become a member, and um, yeah, we'll, we'll see you at the next webinar. All right, let's start the show. to another episode of Art of the Float, where float centers thrive. Uh, tonight's a little bit different in, um, in that, I guess just a little bit behind the scenes real quick, uh, you, my host Kim and myself are part of the Float Research Collective, and so I just want to share um, that we're part of this, and we're going to be asking Dr. Feinstein, who'll be joining us, a bunch of questions about it as well. We also have another member of the board, Brad Doak, will be with us here as well. Uh, Brad, when we introduce you, please let me know if I'm pronouncing your last name correctly. Uh, but first, uh, <laughs> let me bring on Dr. Feinstein. Welcome to the show. Hey, how's it going, everyone? Doing really good. I'm so excited to talk about this. This is just kind of my favorite thing in the world right now. <laughs> 
And uh, Brad, thank you so much for joining us. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. And you, mm-hmm. yes, you did pronounce my last name correctly. Okay. <laughs> Perfect. Um, yeah, I guess I don't want to get ahead of myself here. Um, first, I introduced us as we're all part of the FRC, the Float Research Collective. Um, Justin, um, I'll use you. I'll be asking most of the questions, I think, um, out to, to the rest of you um, and pretending perhaps a little bit like I don't know some of these answers. But uh, Justin, can you introduce what the FRC is and what its purpose is? Yeah, absolutely. So the, the Float Research Collective is a nonprofit 501c3 organization. It started a little over a year ago. We officially launched at the 2022 Float Conference in Portland, Maine, and we are really aimed at, um, in, in many ways, what I what I view kind of as our 10,000 foot, you know, point of view or goal is to try to get floating approved as an accepted medical treatment, something that could be prescribed by doctors something that could be paid for or reimbursed by health insurance or um, subsidized by um, government insurance programs. So the idea really is to try to make float therapy accessible to all the people that currently it's not. And we're talking about people who are suffering from things like pain, stress, anxiety, other types of conditions that could benefit from floating. We're trying to make float therapy accessible to all these people who stand to benefit. And part of doing that is going to require research. And if we're going to get Western medicine to view floating seriously, to take it as a credible therapy, we need more research. We already have a lot of momentum from the past decade or so of research, but we need more. We need bigger studies. We need larger studies. And we need to show that everything we're seeing on a day-in and day-out basis at our float centers could replicate. I think that's a key part for medicine is they want to see that whatever effects you're seeing, say, in Tulsa, Oklahoma, where we had our research laboratory, will replicate anywhere in the world. So I think this is a big part of the the FRC is to try to create this, this swell of research that could then be utilized as a way to of get floating past the finish line and approved as a accepted medical treatment. I love that. Um, can you give us a real quick synopsis of the short-term? Well, actually, let's start with long-term goals, and then we'll work our way to short-term. Oh, sorry. You dropped on that, Dylan. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, can you give me a short synopsis of starting with the long-term goals to the short-term goals of the FRC? Sure. So, you know, the, the long-term goals, as I kind of alluded to, is, is really kind of focused on getting floating approved as a medical treatment. Part of that involves going head-to-head against big pharma, some of the most highly addictive drugs on earth like benzodiazepines and opioids, which are really the most commonly prescribed treatment right now for the short-term reduction of anxiety and pain. And we now have you know, compelling data that floating has a very robust short-term relief of anxiety and pain, but we've never gone head-to-head against the, the quote-unquote gold standards. I, you know, I say that in jest because these are highly addictive medications that are slowly ruining our society. We see this all over with the opioid epidemic that's been going on now for the better part of the past 20 years. 
And we're seeing that as well with things like benzodiazepine. So, you know, to me, this is actually a, a really critical moment for floating because we now have data to show that we have these robust effects, but we have to sort of, sort of prove it against the, the gold standards. And so the long-term goals are really to kind of prove to the powers that be that floating is as effective as these so-called gold standard treatments, but without all the side effects and, of course, without the addiction. And this is something that's going to take a lot of you know, really high-quality head-to-head clinical trials in order to prove it's going to create um, you know, a real big uh, evidence base that providers who normally prescribe these medications could look at and compare and say, oh my goodness, floating could actually help as effectively as these drugs, but in a way that um, is much safer for the population as a whole and for the individual. And so, so Justin, you talked a lot about, um, oh, sorry, nope, uh, you ahead. talked a lot about you know insurance coverage and kind of what Dylan is saying. What kind of timeline are you thinking? Is this something that like you're hoping to have insurance coverage by 2025, 20, like 2030. Like, what kind of timeline are we looking at to actually get to that stage and to make it as, you know, widely known as we're hoping to? Yeah, it's going to be a long process. I, I view it as a marathon, and I kind of view us at the very beginning of this marathon. I think a lot of people think that floating has a ton of research behind it, but it does not. This is something that I think is a misconception in our field. There has been float research. It has been going on for the past few decades, but these are relatively small-scale studies and oftentimes not done in people with clinical issues. And so it's going to be, my guess, anywhere from 10 to 20 years before we're going to see this sort of full-scale embrace of floating from the powers that be. And the powers that be could be everything from, you know, medical organizations like the AMA or the APA or the World Health Organization, right, all the way down to private insurance companies. And it's going to take a lot of time. Like I said, some of these clinical trials that are going to go head to head against the gold standards, those take many years to set up and they take many years to complete. And once those studies come out, then there's going to be obviously a lot of advocacy on our part to try to promote the results. And it takes time. I think something that is is similar um, that we could compare against that's happening right now in our current time is the psychedelic movement, right? You have organizations like MAPS, which is also a 501c3 nonprofit that's trying to get psychedelics approved as a form of medicine, right? Just to give you a sense, MAPS has been going at this since the mid-80s. They've been going at this for almost four decades. And maybe, we'll see how it plays out, but they're saying as early as next year, the FDA might actually approve the first form of psychedelics as a approved medicine that could actually be prescribed and reimbursed. So that took many years. Obviously, they have another hurdle they have to um, jump over, which is the legality issues, which we're not going to have to deal with. But it's something that people need to recognize. This is a long process to get a medical system that is, you know, a bit antiquated, to be honest, and not very progressive, to embrace something that's novel, like floating, 
and really try to use it as a first line form of treatment, which is the way the FRC is viewing it, I think is going to take a lot of time, a lot of research. And it's not something that's going to happen next year or even this decade is my best guesstimate. And we're not talking about doing a head-to-head trial uh, against benzos this year or even next year, as far as I'm aware. But uh, there are more um, uh, goals that are a little bit closer that we uh, will be able to, you know, actionable goals uh, for for float research that are within our grasp. But I'd, I'd love for you to share a little bit more about that and introduce Project Arcturus. Yeah. So, you know, to me, the the lowest hanging fruit as uh, to what the FRC could do in the here and now is Project Arcturus. This is the cloud-based study that I've been talking about for the past year or two. It's a way to collect a massive amount of data from all of the float centers around the world. Now, this is, this is something that's happening on a day-in and day-out basis. All of you guys own float centers. On a given day, how many people come through each of your centers, if you had to guess? Do math really quick. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> Probably 30-ish um, on an average day. Yeah, 20 to 30. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Agreed. So think about that. You, you, you take mm-hmm. your three float centers, right? And you multiply that by the hundreds of other float centers mm-hmm. that are out there. So on any given day, you have thousands of people coming into float. Right? This is all data that is potentially usable and could uh, be learned from. But unfortunately, we do not have the infrastructure yet to collect data at this massive scale. Right? And the goal of Project Arturus really is to create that infrastructure so we could very easily and rapidly collect data from float centers around the world and pull that data together. So instead of publishing a study with 10 or 20 or 30 people, which is really when you think about the past 50 or so years of float research, most of the studies, that was it. Small end studies, even the studies I did at Laureate Institute, we would have maybe 50 people, 75 people. Those are some of the highest end studies we've had to date, but they're still not where we need to be in terms of getting uh, numbers into the hundreds. And really what we're proposing with Project Arcturus is getting the numbers into the thousands. We're, we're hoping to recruit thousands of people in float centers around the world and create this cloud-based infrastructure so that we could continue to collect data in the years to come. So Project Arcturus is really the first study, but there's going to be many more studies to come out of this cloud-based system. And we'll, we'll get into a little more detail about this and how different float centers can participate in this. Um, but just kind of delving into that a little bit and a little bit more behind the scenes of that. Brad, would you mind talking about that cloud-based system and, and what you're doing as, as part of it? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, just to explain a little bit about my background. So I do have a background in healthcare technology uh, programming and uh, ch- actually choosing some very large scale types of systems, not in the clinical trial space, but in some other spaces kind of adjacent to it. And and I think Justin touched on it. Um, this, uh, using a system like this um, with the float industry's cooperation is something that there's very few, I would say, industries out there that would have the ability to do this kind of work. Each float center is kind of going to act like its own trial site. Um, 
And we're going to be able to use, um, you know, there's there's a few systems that are kind of in the running that we're in our selection process that we're looking at. And essentially, these systems will allow our members to sign up for a clinical trial or a trial that we're going to be running directly either from a tablet at the float center or directly from their phone. And that's very different than the centralized model, which requires that the person signs up and goes through the process and they have to go to a you know a specific clinic every day. Or in, in Justin's case, when he was working at LIBOR, they would have to go to LIBOR and they would have to get in the float tanks there where all the equipment is. What we're proposing is this first um, this first study would allow us to, to create that infrastructure and create the onboarding process for the individual float centers themselves. And we're looking for 100 float centers that are dedicated to this mission. They're going to be able to be participating in this scientific process, and their members are going to be able to be the citizen scientists that are going to be able to onboard themselves onto this project and um, and help us to elevate the status of floating uh, using some of these newer technologies that allow for these what they're called decentralized clinical trials. And, and I think that's a really key distinguishing factor between what we're attempting to do here and maybe what other research centers are trying to do with floating is that we're really trying to take a, a model that can scale and can really bring the community of float centers together behind a common mission, which is to uh, work within this medicalized system that we have. And I know there's lots of float center owners out there who maybe scoff at the medical system and everything. And it's like, I, I completely get that. Um, but the best way to kind of change a system is from the inside out. And I feel like, you know, we have a really good chance of getting some attention on this modality that, uh, that we use not only personally, but that we have businesses in and that we get to serve our, our communities with. So, you know, you will get to be a leader kind of in the, um, in the, in the community and establish yourself as a, a, a uh, thought leader um, because you're going to be able to use this as leverage to go to your community or, you know, your marketing efforts as a float center and talk to them directly and say, Hey, this is what we're involved in. It's a float research collective. This is what our mission is, is to, to essentially elevate the, uh, the status of floating within the medical uh, community. And uh, I think to me, that's very exciting. Um, I've never been um, considered a thought leader, so that's my number one excitement right there. <laughs> put into that category. There you go. But I'm I'm curious, what um, is this? I don't know if anecdotal is the right word, but when all this data is gathered, is it something that we can go, okay, now do a study on this based off what all of this anecdotal information shows, or is this publishable information? What happens with this data? Yeah, I think a key part of what the FRC is trying to do is ensure that the data can be published in a peer-reviewed scientific and medical journal. Now, there's been instances in the past where they've tried to do this in the flow community. The, the one that comes to, to mind for me is the fibromyalgia flotation project, which was an international endeavor as well. They were able to collect over 100 um, subjects with fibromyalgia and 
each of those subjects floated numerous times. I think they had eight to 10 float sessions uh, for each uh, patient. Unfortunately, that project did not go through the rigors that are necessary. They did not have um, the proper ethical approvals. And as a consequence, those data will never see the light of day. It's really sad, but it will never be able to be published in a peer-reviewed journal. I've seen the results from that study. They were very good, positive results in terms of pain reduction and improvement of quality of life in these patients who have fibromyalgia. But because they didn't follow the proper protocols, those data are basically going to be silent. No one in the field of medicine is going to be able to, to really look at that. And that's a real shame. You know, there hasn't been publications with fibromyalgia and floating, yet anecdotally, any float center owner will tell you it helps. It really helps. And the patients with fibromyalgia will tell you it really helps. So, you know, this is a perfect example of why you need an organization like the FRC, because what we're going to be doing with Project Arcturus and all of our studies is making sure that we're following all of the proper ethical approvals, making sure we're training the float centers on the best standards for conducting the research and ensuring at the end of the day, this data sees the light of day. It gets published in a very good journal and it will be taken seriously by the powers that be. That's ultimately our goal. So something that I'm hearing is uh, this will be able to be published in a journal, the information that's collected. And um, I'm curious what kind of, so you mentioned the fibromyalgia project, what kind of, like what will be the first study? How will that, um, will it be a year long on one topic? How does the information collecting start and develop? Yeah, so the, you know, really the goal of Project Arcturus is to set up this cloud-based infrastructure, which is going to be a feat in its own right, and disseminate this to at least 100 float centers. That's, that's really the goal here is to get 100 float centers or more to sign up, to be part of this project, and then to begin collecting data. Now, the data we're going to be focusing on with Project Arcturus is really exclusively on the members. These are people who are paying to float on a regular basis, either at a monthly basis or sometimes even uh, more, more often than that, like on a weekly basis. And we're trying to ask the question of, you know, really, why are people paying to float in the wild? You know, what are they benefiting out of this? What, what are the things that uh, floating is helping them with? So Project Arcturus has a whole slew of questions we're going to be able to answer using the membership population across float centers. You know, for me, the most interesting question is, what are the range of clinical indications that people are using floating to help with? You know, right now, the Float Research Collective is focused on this triad of pain, stress, and anxiety, right? There's a lot of different disorders that fall under that umbrella. Fibromyalgia, of course, would fall under pain. Things like post-traumatic stress disorder would fall under stress. Generalized anxiety or social anxiety or panic would fall under the anxiety part of that. But there could be a whole range of other conditions, right? And other clinical indications that floating is helping with. We just don't know yet. And one of the neat parts of Project Arcturus is it will help shape the arc of float research for the next half century. It will allow us to see what are the biggest clinical indications that people are reporting benefit for, 
and it will allow us to focus on those clinical indications in future studies. I think people need to understand research is an iterative process. It's not something that you always know what the answer is going to be when you go into it. And this is one of the neat parts of Project Arcturus is it will illuminate for us across a large sample of thousands of people what are the reasons why people are paying to float in the wild. And we're going to look at a whole other uh, set of questions as well with the members. It's not just the clinical indications, but that's one of the main areas that we're going to be focusing on. Awesome. All right. So, Justin, thinking about, you know, this first step for the centralized data system, why don't we just do a survey of float centers and ask them for the information? Or maybe they could send out a survey to their members and ask that exact question of why are people floating? Like, why couldn't we just start from that? Um, And you would need so much funding to get it kind of kicking off. You know, for, for me, I think it kind of harkens back to my earlier response related to the fibromyalgia study, which is that data will never be able to see the light of day if we don't follow the proper ethical approvals for collecting it. You know, float, float centers, I'm sure, have asked people like their members some of these similar questions about why they're floating, what are the reasons, what are the benefits, right? But we need to do this in such a way that is standardized and is done in such a way that we could then publish it. So if we were to go that route, Kim, unfortunately, that data would never see the light of day. Okay, so I won't send you my reports today then. <laughs> <laughs> I think under underneath that question too, I think there's a question about privacy. And so I think maybe we should address... Mm-hmm. You know, what does this look like? Um, because there's probably a lot of people who are thinking, you know, my customers aren't going to give up their private information. And so these platforms, these decentralized clinical trial platforms, one of the main features that they have is the ability to completely de-identify the data. So they're in, in a lot of cases, there's, they're not even asking for an email address. But the system is still able to track that this is a unique person mm-hmm. coming from a unique device, say, for example, their ta- their phone. Um, and uh, there's some various analytics that get performed to make sure that the system isn't being gamed either, that there isn't like garbage data being entered in. So there's a whole process around, you know, scrubbing the data and making sure that you're not getting duplicate entries and, and all these various things that one might need to look out for. Um, but the key thing is that the data, and especially for this first study, that's going to allow us to, to, you know, roll out the actual infrastructure and training along with it is that it's going to be de-identified. So the, the, you know, you're not going to have to worry about your customers divulging personal information, uh, in order to participate in this. That's key. Yeah. And, and the database itself as well as a consequence of everything being de-identified is something that we are going to be able to share with the the community and the collective of float centers that participate in this study. And, you know, that's going to be a wealth of information. We're going to have thousands of data points on members across the world really trying to take a deep dive into understanding why they are paying to float. What are the, the real reasons that uh, they're finding floating is helping them? And so, you know, to me, that that's a wealth of information. We're going to have that database. And part of, you know, our goal with the FRC is to, to be as open and as transparent as possible. We're, we're trying 
to ensure all of the papers that we publish are open access papers. That's one of the neat things. If you've seen over the past few years, we've had a number of really important papers that have been published in good journals. All of them are open access, and we've purposefully selected that option to ensure that this gets disseminated as widely as possible and as, as, as accessible as possible. And so with the database that we're going to be creating with Project Arcturus, we're, we're planning to follow a very similar level of openness and transparency. Um, can I put the spotlight back on Brad here for a second? Because I think he was part of who came up with this number. But why, is, why are 100 float centers the goal for, for this project? Um, well, 100 float centers, and I think Justin can touch on this as well, um, it's, it'll allow us to create the necessary funding so that we can launch and pay for this. Um, you know, we're all essentially volunteer based. We're trying to push this forward. Um, and so these platforms are not necessarily cheap either, um, in order to, to operate and, and, uh, a hundred float centers is a reasonable number that we'll be able to realistically onboard as well. Um, okay. so, so I think it's, sorry. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, sorry. I think we have a little bit of a delay going on. Um, but can you walk me through the financial part of the 100? Like what, what is project Arcturus as far as that goes? And then the, uh, walking sure. through the onboarding portion. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, ultimately project Arcturus, we're hoping to get a hundred float centers to sign up for a hundred dollars a month. Um, in addition to that, and this is something that we we definitely need to touch on, is that we do have a matching um, donor. And so that matching donor is the Guardian Eco Group, and they're out of Australia. Justin can talk more about, uh, more about them. But they're willing to match dollar for dollar anybody who signs up to be part of this before the end of this year, essentially. And so even... Um, you know, even the pledge that you make that you are going to donate $100 a month for the next 12 months, they will match that all the way through until the end of next year. Did I say that accurately, Justin? Yeah, that's correct. It's, it's a really big opportunity. Um, you know, last year, you guys, just to sort of reorient you, we, we started our initial fundraising campaign. And, you know, to do the, the necessary head-to-head clinical trials against Big Pharma we are attempting to raise $10 million. Obviously, we are nowhere close to that. In fact, we've only just surpassed $30,000. So we need a lot more effort from the float community in order to make the FRC a viable organization. You know, people view the FRC as just an entity that exists, right? Every so often, we'll publish a, a paper. You guys will promote that in your local float community. But research is, is not free, <laughs> Any business needs money to succeed, including a nonprofit. A nonprofit is still a business, right? And so Project Arcturus, we have budgeted about $150,000 for. That's what we estimate it's going to cost to build the cloud-based system, to disseminate it to all of the float centers that are participating, to onboard those float centers for best practices, and then to go and collect all the data, the thousands of data points that are going to be needed in order to publish the study. 150K, just to give you an example, is not a lot of money for a research study. The NIH-funded study that we just completed at Lloyd Institute for Brain Research, and this was the first time the National Institute of Health has funded any float 
research in the history of floating. That was considered a medium-sized study, so this was not even a large-scale uh, grant when it comes to NIH money, and that grant was for about seven hundred and fifty thousand mm-hmm. dollars. Okay, that was a medium-sized grant. Um, one hundred and fifty thousand for this cloud-based study is actually pretty cheap in the grand scheme of things when it comes to clinical trials and research. And so the way we came up with the hundred float centers is actually quite simple. We've raised about $30,000 so far to date. And if we get 100 float centers signing up to contribute $100 a month, that would be $10,000 a month. And over the course of the year, that will add up to $120,000. When you combine that with the $30,000 that has already been raised, we will hit our goal of $150K. So this is not a magical number. This is how much it's going to cost to complete this study and if we have 100 float centers sort of distributing the weight of that cost, it's only $100 a month, which really is not that much when you think about it. That's about one to two floats a month that you're contributing to the powers of um, collecting massive amounts of data for the better of the float industry. This is, to me, such a attractable goal. I've spoken to a lot of the float centers at the conference who've already signed up for the study. And they thought this was a very tractable goal as well. So, you know, my hope is that people will realize if we could all distribute the, the cost of this across a lot of different float centers, this becomes a lot more reasonable to actually afford. And I think we're, we're, we're going to try to do that with this project. And I think one of the really cool things that keeps happening is every time we have a new study, we all share it, we promote it, we talk about it with our guests. Our guests are like, oh, I know somebody who has that particular condition, I'm going to tell them. And that alone is a marketing strategy. So if you think about it that way from a float center owner's perspective, $100 a month isn't that much for a, a really, really powerful marketing tool that we all have to be able to kind of spread the word Um, a little more organically, but in a very, very professional and authoritative expert, you know, expert kind of um, manner versus just sort of like going back to some old research or, or, um, you know, trying to boost a post or, or do a paid ad. This is a really powerful way to build that credibility for your center. And I think if you just look, if you just look at the reasons why people come into float, oftentimes it is because they talk to somebody and somebody told them it's word of mouth. And so if you think about what would it do to your members who are already probably a fan of yours, uh, if they were able to participate in a study like this directly, they they now go from just being loving floating to now they're evangelizing because now they're participating in the mm-hmm. process or participating in the scientific process. Point. So you're essentially creating evangelists out there in your community that are then going to talk to other people and say, yeah, I joined this study. And then the conversation starts, you know, you know, as you guys can probably attest, as soon as you start talking about floating in a room, you immediately become one of the most interesting people in the room because it's, it's the most it's the most unique and strange thing that they're mm-hmm. that uh, the conversation is about. So, I think um, the the full effects from a marketing standpoint and getting it out there to people, I, I think uh, we don't even know. We can only speculate. But I know just from talking to my own members who are excited about this uh, this project. 
is that they want to be a part of it. People want to have power over their future and their future health. And they care about, um, you know, modalities that they use that they get a lot of benefit from. And I think we're giving them like, uh, we're giving them a, a, a really powerful sword that they can then use um, uh, going forward to, to evangelize about floating. And, you know, that's not the goal of Project Arcturus is to create evangelists, but I think it may end up being a side effect of it cool. um, because we are going to be able to do this at scale. It's, it's very similar to, you know, some of these microdosing studies, the psychedelic microdosing studies that I participated in one back in 2017. It's actually one of the platforms we're looking at it was the very first study that uh, this platform hosted was a microdosing study. And that study ended up recruiting uh, upwards of like 10,000 people. And wow. they had their paper published in the journal Nature. And so, I mean, you know, that's, Justin can talk about this more, but I mean, Nature's at the pinnacle of the uh, the scientific journal. So if we get traction and we're able to get published in a journal like that, um, the amount of attention and eyeballs that is going to be on this industry is going to give it, I think, that boost that it needs to get through, um, you know, hopefully what isn't a, a drought in float research. And that's one of the things that I'm concerned about is, you know, the industry has been around for a long time and it's seen these waves. And the way I look at it is we're kind of in the you know, kind of third wave. We're kind of late in the third wave now. Floating really started to pick up steam in the 2010s. And uh, and I feel like, you know, there are some other research centers attempting to study floating, but like Justin alluded to, nothing's being done really at scale. And uh, a float tank is not a pill that you can mass produce, uh, you know, a million of them and and do a massive clinical trial. It's these unique environments that require this unique build-out that only recreational float centers can really provide. And uh, I think it's this is kind of a bit of a rallying cry for the industry to uh, to kind of all unite behind something um, because a lot of people have, you know, gotten a bit disenfranchised with the medical establishment. And, and uh, a lot of people within the industry feel like we have some solutions that are safe and... Uh, that people can use on a regular basis. So I think we, we need to play the game and this, uh, this project will allow us to participate directly in that process. Well, speaking of, of, uh, participation, I want to rapid fire a few questions at you guys, um, with some quick answers here. Uh, where does my money go? If I donate, um, is that going to pay the board of directors there? <laughs> where, where does the money go? Yeah, so all, all funds for um, float centers who sign up for Project Arcturus are going directly to Project Arcturus. I think that's important for people to recognize. We, you know, we're, we're trying to raise $150,000 in order to support this study, and every float center who signs up to donate $100 a month, all that money will be going directly to that study. Right. What if you just, don't want to do a monthly recurring donation, though? Hmm. We have the ability to take any float center that uh, donates $1,200 or more, right? So if, if you're donating 100 bucks for a year, you would be part of Project Arcturus. Or if you wanted to just do a flat donation of $1,200, you would also be part of Arcturus. I think the idea is how do we 
sort of distribute the weight of how much this is going to cost across all of these different float centers who sign up. And it's just about how to make this as, as quick and easy as possible. And just, just to clarify my joke there, we're all volunteer based. <laughs> we're, we're not getting paid for this. Um, uh, let's see here. So um, can I get a tax receipt is a question I've heard. Yes. As soon as you make any donation, um, there's an automated uh, receipt that gets emailed to you each time that you send in a donation. Awesome. Can you give a little bit more information on the business that is doing the matching? How did that come about and uh, why are they doing this? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, this was a bit of serendipity, to be honest. I was down in Australia last year um, promoting the Float Research Collective. And I had dinner with a philanthropic organization there who was quite fascinated by flotation therapy and interested in helping to bring that to Australia. They're a, um, a research and development company and a philanthropic organization called Guardian Eco Group. Their goal is really to try to promote wellness on Earth. And their main area of focus is sustainable energy. And I think that's how they've accrued some of their, their money over the years. And they're now moving into the field of developing novel healing modalities as well, mm. of which flotation therapy is one of their interests. So I think it's, it's a great opportunity for us. We've been looking for uh, people in the industry to step up and create a match. And this is really the first matching campaign we've had. And it's going to be matching dollar for dollar up to $150,000. So it's a great opportunity to double the impact of your donation and to help the FRC become an established organization. Cool. Um, another one I've, I've heard a bunch uh, is if, the, if you have multiple uh, float centers, do you need to donate $100 per float center? Is it all covered for, is one donation covered for everybody? How does that work? Yeah, so the way we're viewing it is we want 100 different float centers to sign up for Project Arcturus. If you own more than one float center, you'll need to sign up each of those centers individually for Project Arcturus in order to qualify. So you know, if you, if you, if you pay the $100 a month, that would get in one of your float centers into the study. If you wanted to um, sign up another center, you would then have to also pay $100 a month for that second center. Awesome. Thank you. Um, what is the timeline to start collecting data? And then how long do you think it'll take before we have enough data to start sifting through it? So the goal is to try to fundraise as much as possible this year and sign up the 100 teams who are going to be part of Project Arcturus. Keep in mind the matching campaign is going up till the end of this year. He's gonna to continue to match for the pledges that are made by the end of the year. So for example, if on December 31st, you decide you wanna sign up for Project Arcturus and you pay $100 a month, that $100 will be matched, but then in addition, all of the $100 payments for the next year, 2024, will also be matched. Um, but the okay. idea is by the end of this year, we need to hit the 100 teams. This is so important for people to realize. And if we could hit the 100 teams by the end of this year, we will launch Project Arcturus next year. 
and we will spend about six to 12 months collecting data. And the goal is to try to publish that data the following year in 2025. So 2024 is the launch. 2025, we're going to try to publish all of that data. So I think it's, a, it's, it's one of the fastest yeah. research studies that's ever been done. But the neat part of a cloud-based system where you could collect massive amounts of data is we could do this at scale in a lot quicker time than it would take if I tried to do all of this in our small two-tank center in Tulsa, Oklahoma, mm-hmm. right? That's, mm-hmm. right. You know, this, is, this is the neat part of a cloud-based system is we're, we're able to collect massive amounts of data over a short period. I love that. And this is where people will actually be doing their floating in real life, too. It won't be in a clinical environment. So I feel like the, the data that comes in will be very realistic in that respect. That's absolutely right. Thank you very much. Um, I'm also curious. I know it's already been uh, covered a little bit here or touched on, but can you really explicitly share who gets access to the data that's going to be collected? Yeah, so I think, you know, first and foremost, everything is de-identified, right? So the database itself is shareable. That, that was really an important goal of the FRC is to make sure that this data could be open access. So, you know, what will happen is in 2024, when we start data collection, the FRC will be maintaining that database. Uh, Brad, who, who is really an expert in database management, is going to help shepherd that process through. And then at the end of data collection, the FRC will be analyzing the data and writing it up for publication. Once the data is published, the goal is to make that database open to the community. And so I think it's going to be something that's going to become a really big resource for the whole flow community where you could take a deep dive. You could look at various demographic factors. You could look at other areas of interest that you might have and use the data to help uh, your own business in many ways. I think that's one of the goals of the FRC is you know, to, to, to promote all of the float centers who are participating in this and make sure that they have access to this database. Um, something that comes up that sometimes it's a little hard for me to, to process, but uh, is a question that I want to ask is why do we need this science? Why do we need this research? You know, I think it's, it's a fair question. It's something that I get asked. I think what people have to recognize is floating benefits those who are suffering. This is something all of my research has shown the past decade. You could take an average, ordinary, healthy person and have them float, and they're going to get some benefit out of it, right? We've shown that. But if you take somebody who is, say, acutely suffering from chronic back pain, or acutely suffering from anxiety, stress, they are going to get such a a large effect that pales in comparison to what an average, ordinary, healthy person gets. And so what this actually means is that the people who stand to benefit the most from floating are those who have clinical issues. And those are not the people who are typically floating at float centers yet. They haven't heard about it. They don't have access to the the treatment. They don't have the ability to afford the treatment. And so really, when it comes to science, it's really about trying to get floating in the hands of the people who will benefit the most from it, the patients. You know, this is really the goal of the science is to try to make floating accessible to those who it is currently not accessible for. So, you know, I guess... 
the short answer to your question, Dylan, is if people want floating to be accessible to the patients, to the people who really stand to benefit the most from it, the research is a necessary component of that. Otherwise, this will never be viewed as a credible treatment, and it won't see the light of day for all these people who stand to benefit. So I think, the, the, in, in my view, the science and the research is so important. We've gained so much momentum this past decade. Keep in mind, before I started doing float research, there really wasn't much at all being done in patients who have anxiety disorders or stress disorders. There's very little work. There's basically one other lab in Sweden that was studying this. And all of a sudden, now we have a bunch of different studies that have been published in really good peer-reviewed scientific journals. And we're starting to gain momentum. We're finally starting to be viewed credibly by the medical powers that be. And so the idea is to continue this momentum and to try to actually leverage all of these float centers who are collecting uh, data simultaneously to publish the largest float study that's ever been done. And so now when I talk to people at conferences and they say, oh, Justin, great work on that publication last year. You just showed for the first time in thousands of people that floating could help with all of these different conditions. For the first time, we could actually say this is a high-powered study. It's not just done in a, a matter of dozens of people, but in a matter of thousands. This is going to help improve the credibility tremendously. One of the number one things I look for when um, doing any kind of research, looking at a published published research, is looking at their sample size. To because if it's if it's four or six people, I'll take that with a much larger grain of salt than something that's done with hundreds or thousands of people for sure. So, Justin, I've heard um, one of the the kind of things that people will often push back on is uh, the idea of accepting insurance. And, you know, this is a really long term goal to even get us to that point. But for float centers who don't want to accept insurance at their their uh, business, you know, if they agree to you know participate because they want to, to help with some of the research and, and to have the data and the study, um, are we saying that once floating is accepted by the medical community and eventually even backed by insurance, that all float centers would be required to do that? No, I don't think so. I think, yeah. you know, first of all, we, we can't put the cart before the horse here. Um, the, the, the idea of insurance reimbursing and paying for floating is a long ways into the future. But on top of it, as with any other medical modality or, or health modality, you don't have to. Uh, take insurance. That's not a mandatory requirement. And I think one thing that people need to recognize is, you know, yes, there's a there's a historical element of insurance undercutting the prices, right? I think that's a fair um, mm -hmm. observation. But it doesn't always have to go in that direction. Just to give you a concrete example, in the country of Australia, which is really, I would say, ahead of the game when it comes to accepting float therapy as an actual medical modality, their disability insurance, so this is sort of their nationalized disability scheme, will reimburse for float therapy at the rate of $100 a float session. That's already happening right now. So if you were that. to get reimbursed at $100 a float session, for most of you, that's going to be more than you're currently charging. So I think it's just something for people to be aware of that it doesn't always have to go in the direction of undercutting the prices. In the grand scheme of things, floating is a relatively cheap 
service when you think of all the other expensive medical uh, treatments and modalities that exist out there we're on the lower end of costs so i i you know i foresee a future where floating is reimbursed at a very uh competitive price and will become much more accessible because now people aren't going to have to pay out of pocket nice i'd like to uh, change gears hopefully a little that's bit. one of the concerns that's Go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, sorry, Cam. I want, I want to change gears here a little bit. Um, and I want to talk about, well, I know when you gave a speech at the Flow Conference, or should I say when you were planning it, you were, um, I believe, planning to talk about Project Arcturus or make that a large portion of your presentation. And then, of course, uh, in Maui, Lahaina, uh, I mean, went up in flames and uh, that impacted a ton of people. And um, your speech became about that. Um, I would like to do a separate episode if we can talking about that project, but I would like to give you a moment to speak on that and also speak about the separation between um, what you're working on for Maui and Arcturus. Yeah, you know, it's it's been a tough month here on Maui. We, we had you know, arguably the, the most devastating fires in the history of America that struck here in early August. And um, thousands of people have lost their homes, are displaced. Um, hundreds, maybe even thousands, have died. We're still trying to get a, a final body count. And the population here has been uh, totally devastated and, and traumatized by this. So we're actively working as you know one of the few nonprofit organizations on island here to try to help the traumatized people of Maui, including the first responders and the firefighters. And we have a, a project that we're getting ready to launch that I think is going to be quite incredible, where we're going to try to float everyone who's been traumatized for free and do that for an entire year here on Maui to try to reduce the chances of PTSD spiraling into its chronic form. This is a you know, a giant undertaking. It's going to require a lot of help from the float community to, to see this to fruition. But it's a separate project than Project Arcturus, obviously. And we'll be talking about this um, in, the, in the near future. But I think it's important for people to recognize that Project Arcturus is really about collecting data at a massive scale around the entire world. And the Maui float project is really circumscribed to the tragedy that has happened here on island. And, and the money that's being donated to the FRC currently is going towards Arcturus and this, this cloud-based data collection. That's correct. I think is, is important. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we will have um, a separate um, fundraising campaign focused purely on the, the Just in closing here, for somebody who's feeling inspired by this episode or is, and is interested in joining this project and wants to be, um, what, what was that word, a thought leader? What? Um, <laughs> how, uh, how do they sign up and how do they become part of it? Yeah, so it's, it's actually uh, quite simple. You, you will essentially go to our uh, clinicalfloat.fundraise.org page. We could put a link for that in the show notes. Mm -hmm. And you sign up for a $100 monthly recurring donation. And it's as simple as that. Um, ideally, we'll have you sign up as your own fundraising team, and then you'll get access to all of our social media that Kim has done a great job of curating. You'll get access to a lot of the other FRC materials, including the brochures that we'll 
uh, be mailing to your float center. And uh, on top of that, you're going to get access to exclusive live webcasts with the FRC, including myself, where we're going to talk to you about Project Arcturus. You're going to get to ask questions. You're going to provide input on the actual research itself. So you're going to become an active participant in this project when you sign up. And um, you know the, uh, the sooner you contribute, the better, because we are having this matching campaign that's happening, but it's only happening until the end of this year. So we got to try to get 100 float centers signed up before the end of this year in order to bring this to fruition. And just because the question uh, comes up a lot, and I know it's already been covered, but just so it's very clear, if you sign up to for $100 a month before the end of the year, that is going to be matched for the duration of 12 months. Is that correct? That is correct. So all the way going into next year, your, your pledge to continue that recurring donation will be matched. Thank you. Is there anything else you want to share before we wrap up? Any other tidbits of information about the project? You know, I think one question that people might have is, you know, we talked about, you know, what are the clinical indications that people are using floating to help with? But what are other questions that we're going to learn from Project Arcturus? And I think there's a whole really uh, big range of questions that we're going to really be exploring with this data set. And we could get into to some of these, but just to give you a very brief overview, we're not only going to be looking at the range of clinical indications that people are using floating to help with, but we're going to also try to figure out how long are the benefits lasting. You know, we just published a paper last month that we showed uh, uh, the benefits going on for a period of 48 hours, and we didn't even measure long enough. For all we know, the benefits are lasting longer than 48 hours, but we're going to be able to assess that with Project Arcturus. We're going to take a deep dive into pain. We talk a lot about floating and pain, floating helping with pain. But what types of pain is floating helping with? And are there specific body locations where uh, floating tends to help more than others? For example, lower back pain. We're going to be looking at medications, right? A lot of people who are floating on a regular basis for various clinical conditions they may be suffering from might be on medications and maybe the routine practice of floating has helped them reduce or even eliminate their need to take these medications. We're going to be looking into that. One of the most common questions I get asked is what are the safety issues of floating on a regular basis? And here we're going to have members, some have experienced over a hundred float sessions, and we're going to look at any types of safety issues that have come up over the dozens and dozens of sessions that these members have floated. And then finally, you know, one of the things that's really interesting to me is can we replicate some of my findings, but at a massive scale? So we could look at some of the stuff we've published, like the, the reduction in state anxiety, the enhancement of interoceptive awareness, people reporting that floating is the most relaxing experience they've ever had in life. And we'll actually be able to look at the members and see how much of this replicates at a very massive scale. So I think there's a lot we're going to learn with this project. Obviously, this is just the first of many cloud-based studies that will emerge from this project, but I'm excited. I think we're going to learn a lot, and it's going to be the gift that keeps giving for the entire float industry. 
Thank you, Justin. Thank you, Dr. Feinstein. Really appreciate it. <laughs> I'm, I'm so excited about this. I, I really am over the moon. And I'm as far as everything that the uh, FRC is working on, uh, this is the one that absolutely gets me lit up. And I'm excited to be part of it. And I cannot wait to start seeing the results. And just talking with my float community, with uh, the float shops, float community, our clientele about it and, and um, sharing the excitement. It's 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 going to be cool. <laughs> um, as we close out here, uh, Justin, thank you so much for joining us. Truly uh, a pleasure and an honor on this side. And I also want to give a special, special shout out to Brad for joining us as well. Brad Doak, I should say, um, who had to peace out a little bit early here. Kim, my co-host, thank you so much as always for being here and taking show notes live during the recording. Always appreciated. Um, Let's see here. Um, again, those links that Justin mentioned for signing up are going to be on the show notes page, um, YouTube page, all of that stuff. Um, if you want to sign up, really excited about that. Um, yes, let's see here. Um, thanks to our sponsors, as always, for helping support the show here. That means we're able to do awesome episodes like this and get the word out. And thanks to you for listening. Thanks for signing up for this. Thanks to everybody who is supporting uh, Art of the Float on Patreon as well, signing up for social media. We're now um, publishing video, uh, vertical video, for those of you who really like to stay active on stories and TikTok. Uh, now you can just grab those straight from the release and post those um, very, very easily. So I'm stoked about that. Uh, that's for anybody on the Transcendent tier signing up. And of course, shop.artofthefloat.com. Uh, if you want to buy videos, images, a la carte, t-shirts, mugs, all that sort of thing, uh, it's available on shop.artofthefloat. And I think that's it. Again, thanks for listening, guys, and we'll see you next week. Mm-hmm.